Today we're going to get on our tinfoil hats, guys. That and a whole bunch more here on Reset 62. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is Reset. It can be found at reset.fm. I'll be talking about anything that plugs in or takes batteries. Mostly home automation, networking, home storage, and technology in general. Reset was inspired by a bent paperclip that has been sitting on my desk for years. Reminds me to be adventurous and have fun, because there's usually a reset button. Let's get started. Welcome back to Reset, everybody. I'm your host, David McKay. Thanks for joining in once again for this Reset podcast. You can follow me and let's see on Twitter, McCabe.io. YouTube is youtube.com slash David McCabe. Don't forget about those awesome Reset forums. You can go to resetforums.com. Or you can go to homeservershow.com and still get those forms there, that URL. Patreon, if you'd like to support this place, and I have a bunch of amazing people that do that month in and month out. I so appreciate that. Patreon.com slash David McCabe. Well, I told you we were going to get our tinfoil hat on, and I've got a couple of things I want to... It may not even be like show you, but there's a couple of new things out that I do want to introduce to you. And if you have seen these or played with these, please uh, you know, give me some feedback. We can talk about this on the Reset Forums. This is a great topic to get more in-depth with. And uh, so let's just go ahead and uh, grab that roll of tinfoil and let's get our hats on. The first one. I want to talk to you about is something from Microsoft. Microsoft just announced, I think this was last week, something called the Attack Surface Analyzer. Now, this was introduced way back in 2012 and played with it just a little bit, but now it is out in a 2.0 fashion. And really, maybe I'm thinking about something else. I, I used to run a tool like this And what it would do is it would put a list of files in like a spreadsheet. And it was really difficult to keep uh, track of. But then you install a piece of software and then you run the tool again and you can track the changes that it makes to your computer. I think this is like the coolest thing ever because it will analyze every single change or addition made to your Windows PC, and I find that just ultimately, ultimately handy. Really cool. I am going to give you a couple of links, and don't forget to find these links on uh, the show notes at reset.fm. This will be slash 62. And so I'm going to read you uh, something from their GitHub uh, file here. The core feature of Surface Attack Analyzer is the ability to diff, so to do run a diff, on operating system security configuration before and after software component is installed. So Attack Surface Analyzer can look at the file system, user accounts, services, network ports, certificates, and registry on Windows, that is. And all of that is going to be stored in an SQL Lite. The last cool thing I'll say about this is it is available on Linux, Mac OS, and of course Windows. So that is really neat that you can use all of these OSs and see exactly what this program is doing to your computer. 
we've all been there, right? We've all had something like, ah, I'd like to install this, but man, I really don't want to gunk up my computer any more than I have to. It would be really cool to know exactly what it's doing. And this will tell you exactly that. So look for this link again in the show notes, reset.fm slash 62. The next one I want to share with you is you may have heard about this if you follow any IoT type podcasts or blogs or anything like that. This is called the download, oh, not the download, but it's called the IoT Inspector. Again, links will be in the show notes. What this does is it runs a software program either, again, on Linux, Mac OS, or Windows 10, and you install it on the computer, and it will collect information on your network about all of the possible IOTs, IOT devices on that network. So now we're going to have to be careful with this one, right? We're not. This is not something you're going to throw on your server and just leave it running and uh, always be gathering data. So this does ARP spoofing on your network. It will intercept every single packet on your network and inspect it. It removes personal identifiable information it uploads the data to a server at Princeton University. This is a university project. And the server performs the analysis and presents the result via a small web page. So this is not something you want to read or have running all the time. But this is something that you could run on your network if you are wary of something like unsecure. Maybe you don't like something that some, someone gave you a LAMP module or something for your network and you just really concerned about where the data is going and what exactly it is doing. This thing will tell you just that. I heard a, oh, I wish I could link you to that podcast. I heard an interview with these guys and it is, it's really cool. It is very intrusive and it's very an intense program to be putting on your computer and it will affect your network and how it runs. So definitely don't do this during any type of TV viewing or um, or something you know important going on on your network. Uh, traffic will still pass, right? It'll still pass. You'll, people will still be able to pass packets to and from the internet but they will be captured, they will be spoofed to this computer and sent on to the internet from there so they can see everything going on. So it would really be neat to run this maybe like on a clean network and then plug in said device, uh, smart things or a web camera or something and then run it again and see what is going on. So Princeton is actually doing research with this. This is not just something a couple of guys wrote in their dorm room. They're actually doing a bunch of research. And that's why the data has to go from your network to Princeton's network to see where all these devices are connecting to, what they're talking to, what kind of traffic they're sending. So a lot of data aggregated to this app is going to give everybody a better chance at, on identifying, you know, some rogue stuff is 
stuff getting sent to China and why is it get sending to China getting sent to China? What's it doing? Is it going to their server, their cloud farms over there uh, legitimately or is it keep rerouting it to some other address? So I think this is a real powerful program. They are very upfront about everything they are doing. You know, this is this is way upfront and way transparent according to what I have read and what I have seen. And I will give you that link, reset.fm slash 62. I have just not found the time to run this thing, you know, because it's so intrusive. and I don't want to break anything, but I do want to put it on a machine, try to run it and see what it gathers because I've got a lot of IoT devices. I don't, I don't even really know how to begin like capturing my network and then doing it, you know, in intervals over the next couple of months to see if anything has changed or any devices acting up. So I really have not come up with a perfect plan with this piece of software, but maybe you have. Maybe you can share that with me. I think uh, we could all probably benefit from that. There's another another program that is software-based, and you can run this on your phone, that people are using to discover rogue IoT devices, rogue cameras, like in your rent house, or uh, Airbnb is kind of mentioned, and that is the Fing app. Have you heard of the Fing box? I've... I've had one of these things in my hands before, and uh, I don't know where it has ended up, but it's out there somewhere. But uh, Fing has a nice app that you can use by itself. You don't need to buy a box for you to, to use this app, but you can use it to scan the network that you are attached to. So put it on your Android phone, put it on your iPhone, and it's free. There are no ads it will analyze everything that you are connected to. So that's why it's so cool if you get into, you know, an Airbnb or a rent house or beach house, lake house, mountain retreat, whatever, and see if anything that they can recognize shows up. If there's a camera on the list, on the network list of your Airbnb or your rent house, I think you should know about that, don't you? I think you should know if, you know, maybe there's a ring doorbell. That's fine. That's pointing outside. But if there are more ring cameras, maybe you should know about that. I've got a chance to use this uh, on a beach house, and I am absolutely going to do that. That's on my checklist is to get the Fing app and to immediately connect to the Wi-Fi in this local place and run it and see if there's anything that I can catch I'm almost kind of wanting to catch something. <laughs> and as creepy as that kind of sounds, I'm like, I, give me something to investigate. This is going to be fun. Open ports, cameras, I don't know, lamp modules. Let's, I, let's, let's get after it. I want to do that. So I will give you a um, not only a link to the Fing app itself, but uh, there's a How to Geek article that I ran across in looking in this deeper that shows you how to use the Fing app, but not only that, how to 
try to spot night vision cameras that are in the residence or the house or whatever itself because there are there is a there's a whole slew of cameras that are that do not connect to a network right the whatever these people are that would want to have these things would use SD cards or local storage or something like that so bam they're not going to be on the network so you got you got that to look out for but this will help uh, this little article will kind of show you how to check for infrared so turn out the turn out the lights do something and we'll look for some infrared I'm going to read it once again and I'm going to look through my rental house and hopefully we can catch up with some uh I don't know why <laughs> I don't know why I want to catch something maybe I would just I'd call him and say hey do you know that there is such and such in this rental house and we need to take care of that right I don't know why I, I just I just want to sleuth right I want to get 007 and pull out my my secret spy pen and detect all this stuff I don't know. That's being weird. Well, what's not weird is wanting to go from gig Ethernet to something faster, right? We've all kind of got that on our wish list. I know you do. You may not admit it, but 2.5 gig, 5 gig, even 10 gigabit Ethernet would be so cool. And I know pricing has locked you out of it, locked you out of the game. It's locked me out of the game. It we're, we're just not there yet, right? The 10 gig network is just not attainable by me because it is so expensive for those switch ports to get into the game. Well, QNAP is going to kind of come to the rescue here with a USB 3.0 to 5 gigabit Ethernet adapter. Yeah, we can say dongle. This is a 5G base T dongle. No fiber. This is category 6 type rated 5E, whatever you want to run it over. Um, There are generally some benefits for running Cat6, but you can run this over 5E network cables, and it's USB-C on the other end. So if you've got some high-powered USB-C ports on your computer or your laptop, you would you could benefit from this. So let's dig in a little bit about this thing. Driver support is there. So Windows 10, 8, 1, 8, and 7, you can all install a QNAP driver. Mac OS 10 will be native soon. I hope maybe something is announced in the upcoming WWDC with native support for this because Apple is now shipping products with 10 gig Ethernet adapters. So I would like to see something native from them. And there's also some uh, Linux kernels that have it built in as well. QNAP also has some Thunderbolt 3 to 10 gig adapters. Now these are a little bigger. These look kind of like a honking big block on the side of your uh, of your laptop here. Or, I mean, you can put this on your NAS too. So that's one thing that QNAP is saying. Hey, you can buy this for your existing QNAP NAS and connect it to your network 
faster and uh you know we're gonna, ha- we're gonna have to get some switched ports here guys but we can talk about that as well you know i hope i don't have to walk that back i'm pretty sure that all of their upcoming nasas with the software update are going to support this dongle but also if you have a big enough qnap uh device with a pcie slot you can buy there are uh 10 gig cards you can buy that have a a, a base t connector on them so there's multiple options for that on qnap devices now don't quote me on anything synology because i haven't even looked up synology on the 10 base uh compatibility with with this block and i I don't think it's going to be there but uh synology does have some higher end devices that do have uh higher end ports too okay so what's this thing costs and i don't know i really don't Amazon has the 10 gigabit Ethernet devices on for 169 and 189. So I assume it's going to be lower than that and it's just not released yet. There was uh, there was one like for sale that I saw and it was listed around 200 bucks and I just don't I don't believe that. So we're just going to have to hang in there and see what they're going to sell us this thing for, right? Okay, staying on that topic, TrendNet is doing the same thing. They've got USB-C 3.1 to a gigabit adapter. So there's a 2.5 gigabit and there's a 5 gigabit. And these are base T, so this is going to be over Cat 5e or Cat 6. Let's just go to price, man, because 2.5 gigabit adapter to USB-C 3.1 is $59.99. That's MSRP. The 5 gig is $124.99. So that is some good pricing right there. I mean, to double your gigabit speed for only 60 bucks for a dongle, that's pretty slick. That is pretty nice. You could put that on your PC. You could put that on your server. And, well, we got to get some switching. Yep. I mean, we, we got to talk switching. That's the pain. The per port price on switches is just unreal right now it's the wild west out there on um, on switching for gigabit ethernet so i've gathered up a couple of prices qnap has an eight port unmanaged 10 gig switch and it is 489 dollars on amazon eight ports yep the cheapest i've been able to find is this little netgear switch it has an eight port gig ether and two 10 gig switch ports now those are both cat so that is both uh you don't have to do the fiber connector device you don't have to do a little configuration change there so that is um those are also multi-gig ports meaning they will go to 2.5 5 gig and 10 gig so that's not bad so there's two ports there you could do your nas you could do your pc that you use all the time. The rest of the family and everybody else can hang back on those gigabit Ethernet ports while you transfer back and forth on the speedy version. Now, that is something I would consider, especially if I was running a PC-based server. I would have no qualms in getting one of those uh, those cards. Those I don't I don't know how to spell the names. They start with a Q. QNAP uh, sells them. They're like eighty nine bucks for a 10 gig card 
PCIe card, no problem doing that. And buying this Netgear switch that has the two the two uplinks. That's, that's some pretty good blazing speed between you and your server. Again, that's 200 bucks, and that's on Amazon. I mean, you can get that tomorrow if you ordered it today. Microtik, um, real popular company in routing and switching. Only thing I could find there are SFP ports. So you're going to have to buy fiber adapters for those for those boxes and they're still quite expensive so you can go out to microtick.com and look at their switching options netgear also used to put out some gigabit switches and i'm having trouble finding those at a decent price in port density i remember at one time they were putting out a huge box that was you know four or five ports and several hundred dollars, but I'm like again, I'm having trouble finding those, so I'm not even gonna gonna mess with that. I'll I'll put some of these links in the show notes so you can go and look around if you'd like to. I'd also like to know if you're doing it and you found better solutions than what I'm talking about. I know there's more switching out there. I know eBay is full of uh, you know enterprise type switches, and you know some of us don't want to do that. Some of us don't want to have those those fans howling. In our uh, in our wiring data center basement, um, and having the uh, CFO spouse uh, yelling at us about that. So let me know what you're running. I think that'd be cool to kind of catch up with you and figure out what is going on. Now, another couple of things. I'm going to talk some Synology with you, and I'm going to start with the exciting one, the one that I think is cool. TeamViewer is now running on. Synology. So, you know I've been pretty hard if on TeamViewer. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I've been hard on TeamViewer because they're so freaking expensive for their you know, for their connections. I mean, these are made for businesses. I get it. But they don't even give like a little option for the home guy to buy, you know, a, a couple of ports to to use. But they do let you use it for free. But they nag you about it. They nag me all the time. Having said that, I haven't found anything that's much better. And now you can go into your disk station manager on your Synology box. You have to enable beta testing in your package center on Synology. So if you go to package center, go to settings, there's a tab up there called beta and just you just say, yes, I want to see beta versions. And because that's what this is, it's in beta. If you don't want to see any of those apps in Package Center, you don't have to enable that. But enable that and then search TeamViewer and it shows up. If you're familiar with TeamViewer, you get the typical ID number mumbo jumbo. And then you put that into the device that you're at- attaching to the Synology. So, Go to your Windows PC, your Mac, whatever, your phone, and put in the ID, and then it connects up, and you can run a TeamViewer remote window of Disk Station Manager. Okay. Yeah, Dave, but all I got to do is run TeamViewer on my PC at home, and then from remote, I can bring up that PC and then open a browser and then connect to my NAS. Yes, you can do that, but I just saved you three or four steps there. You just 
tap on the Synology and boom, you get a window with Disk Station Manager right there. You can see everything right there. And I, I find some value in that, especially being remote. I do find value in that and not have to jump through hoops and just let them create the tunnel for you and have everything nice and secure, nice and hidden behind your router. So poke holes in it. Tell me what you think and we'll go from there. But I'm I'm seeing that as a plus and I'm not a big TeamViewer fan, right? You guys know that. Disk Station Manager, DSMs, the software that runs on your Synology NAS and provides you access into the heart of that system. Very efficient operating system. And it's been updated 6.2. There's a lot, lot of stuff in there that they've patched or fixed or uh, upgraded. And I can't give you everything, but I can give you a link and you can go look at it or just make sure you go out to your Synology and update your stuff. I sometimes forget to update mine and they're actually, they've got something new about um, an update mechanism that reminds you, says, hey, there's something new for you to, to, to look at out here. There are also, one thing I did notice about it is it added a whole bunch of old, I don't want to say legacy, old NASes to use the new file system, BTRFS. So that is an advantage there. So maybe if you do have an older NAS system that you, uh, you know, one of those old two-disc NASes, check it out because that is a more efficient way to to run your file system on your NAS and um, it's updated in 6.2. That link will be in the show notes and I almost think we're done here. Are we done already? Where are my notes? But okay, we're done. But I want to tell you a story. So I recently started digging into my Synology, not my Synology, my SmartThings dashboard. And of course, you guys know I have a love-hate relationship with my SmartThings. But the ALEXA is getting smarter and smarter every day. It It is. And it's doing routines. And that's where you can ask it to do something. And it is... Uh, it is really getting smart and it's interact it can interact with your smart things but i noticed that in my alexa list of devices there was a whole bunch of old smart thing devices smart thing devices that i haven't had for a long time that i just put in there and took right out or you know moved or threw away or they broke or you know something and i got to digging around and the ALEXA just doesn't let go of anything in SmartThings, no matter how long it's been offline. Which is probably a good thing because things go offline in SmartThings all the time. It's it's a major pain. So I thought, hmm, okay, well, let's just take out SmartThings out of my ALEXA. So go to the skill, remove it. I can re-add this later, right? That didn't remove all the SmartThing devices. They still stayed in there. It's okay. Well, they haven't been there, so let's run the Discover. So you say ALEXA, Discover, and she'll dig through and find any new devices. Well, she does that just fine. But she won't say, oh, and by the way, you have 40 old devices that I have 
haven't seen in a while. Would you like to take those out? No, she doesn't do anything like that. You have to go through one by one in the ALEXA app and remove them. And it is a major PETA, P-I-T-A. Look one, look that one up. It's crazy pain in the butt. But I did it. I did do that and got everything out. And what did I do? I just reinstalled the skill and did discover and got everything nice, brand new and fresh. Set up my routines that I wanted and everything is copacetic so far. So I think that that is going to work out. I've been kind of in that cleanup mode where smart things is just it was just a royal mess after I went to the ring alarm system I took out all of the all of the door and window sensors out of smart things and completely turned it into an automation type platform and not a security type platform and I will start moving things over Slowly but surely. And that does include my Schlage locks. And I think that's it so far. I'm going to move my two locks over to the ring system and then go from there. Now also, Amazon has enabled guard in your uh, your echoes and your dots and whatnot. So guard is a system in ALEXA that when enabled listens for glass breakage, smoke alarm tones, and CO2 sensor tones. If it hears that, it will notify you. Now, you you have to choose when to enable that. And you have to go into the, the app and turn it on. Now, you can also link it to your ring alarm. But I think I screwed something up. And mine is not linked. So what you would want to happen is when you arm ring in away mode, you're leaving the house, it gives you your it gives you that tone and gives you, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds to exit before it arms. You would want guard to arm as well. That's when you want glass break sensors, smoke sensors to be armed, right? Because you're not there. If you're in the home, you're going to hear the window break. You're going to hear the smoke alarms go off. When you're away from the home, you kind of want to know. If that happens, you can jump onto a camera and you can kind of go from there. I need to revisit that and uh, put that on my to-do list so I can uh, let you know if I get that done. That is just another feather in the cap of the ring alarm system. Now, there are a lot of things wrong about this system. It is not the best system in the world. But right now, I feel more secure with it than I would definitely with a smart thing system uh, trying to watch my house. And I'm also trying to get control of my camera situation. I can get easily out of control with the cameras. You know this. I start testing one and I think, oh, that's pretty good. I'll buy another one. Yeah, those are two are good. Why not three? And I'll buy a third one. And then once I get that third one, I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? And I did it again with Wise. So I've done this with ring cameras, with surveillance station on Synology, 
the Wise cameras. I've done it with the Netgear wireless stuff. I've done it with the EasyViz. What else have I done? All kinds of all kinds of cameras. I Blink. That's right. I've got three Blink cameras. Nuts. I'm absolute. I absolutely go nuts with these things. I sold three Blink cameras that I purchased in a kit from uh, the last Black Friday. I didn't even install them. It's just sitting there in the box. I'm like, I gotta monetize this. This should not be sitting around. So I think I am going to come up with a system and I am going to embrace Ring more than I have any other system. And this is, I have a lot of Synology gear, right? I have Synology cameras and seven licenses on my Synology NAS. That's just on one NAS. I've got more of these things. So I'm still going to use those. I think I've decided to use Synology cameras indoors. Now that's crazy, but indoors. So this is going to encompass garages and storage areas. I've got a lot of storage areas in my house that have water features running through them. And I want cameras. And it's going to take multiple cameras in each storage area to cover that. So I'm going to be okay there. And garage, I think I would like to do two cameras in my garage. Just to get multiple angles. Just so I cover everything. I'm also open to putting some, you know, outdoors if I need to. Also have that. Now, wise cameras. uh, I went hog wild on that. I have purchased two Wise was very friendly and nice enough to give me one at CES 2019. And I think I'm going to do Wise in my pool house. Got a little house out by the pool. It's got a water heater. It's got electronics. It's got a bathroom. It's got a shower. I'm not putting any cameras in there. But I can put a door sensor there so I know if it opens. I would get notification of that open just in case my Schlage door lock didn't open, right? Someone didn't use that. And I have a storage shed attached to it. I put a camera in there to monitor. And I'll also put uh, a sensor in there. So I think I've got a plan. This plan, by the way, is on a sticky note. That is the sticky note. And Ring will go outdoors. I've got two Ring Pros on two doors. I've got two spotlight floods and I've got a ring I, mean, I don't know what the heck it's called, battery. It's a ring battery camera that it honestly needs a it needs a solar panel bad. What is this thing called? It is called settings and I still can't even find it. Where is it? About device health. It'll be in there somewhere. Nope. <laughs> it's the one with the, the lights on the side. And it has a uh, a battery. It's powered by a battery. So it's a little square, ugly thing. I got it from the um, Amazon treasure truck. That's where I got it. So I was pretty happy about that. I have been completely satisfied with the Ring products in how they monitor the the ability of the system to capture information, to capture 
things. I've got a video of a trampoline flying across my backyard at 3 a.m. during a windstorm. I've got that. I've got deer, coyotes, fox, you name it, all kinds of critters coming to the yard, you know, doing whatever they do. And so I think I'm going to embrace this system. I pay 10 bucks a month, right? It's a good system. All right. I think that's 62, guys. Let's get out of here. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have, tell me what your camera situation is like. Tell me if you are as crazy nutso as I am, and then we'll go from there. Maybe we can compare notes and see how you are protecting your domicile and how um, how you're going about that. Thanks for listening to 62. If you don't want to be on Patreon, well, I, I am, you should be on Patreon. Patreon.com slash David McCabe. You should do that. I'm going to send you out a couple of stickers. I got a brand new roll of stickers. They're round. And I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna send you a square sticker as well, just for any whatever you do on Patreon. Doesn't matter how much, how little, you're gonna get it. Boom! Just put your address in there. If you don't want to do that, understand it's cool. You don't have to, but go out to iTunes and give it some stars. Right? Fill up the stars. I would totally appreciate that. Go out to YouTube, subscribe, and then go through my video list and thumbs up everything. <laughs> right? Just thumbs them up. If you don't like the video, give it two thumbs downs. And I heard that on YouTube once. Two thumbs downs. That means you give it a thumbs down and then you take it off. So, sorry. That was horrible. But if you don't want a Patreon, just do that. It just takes a couple of seconds. Go to iTunes, recommend it, maybe even write a review and say we're wonderful. And then, uh, and then go out there to YouTube, subscribe, and thumbs up all the videos. There's only a couple hundred it won't take you that long. Suddenly, a couple of dollars a month seems pretty cheap, right? That's Reset 62. See you next time. This has been Reset. It can be found at reset.fm or over on YouTube at youtube.com slash David McCabe. Follow on Twitter at McCabe.io and you can discuss this episode and more on Reset Forums. Resetforums.com Intro and outro music is by Daryl Lee. Find it at soundcloud.com. Daryl Music. That's D-E-R-L-E-E Music. Support of this podcast can be done at Patreon. Patreon.com slash David McCabe. There's also some shopping links at resetforums.com if you want to use those. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you next week on Reset.